Friends, if you have a Bible and want to open with me, let's do so to John chapter 17. We're going to look at just a few verses in John 17. We're here together to observe Good Friday, but I chose a passage that happens really late Thursday night. Jesus, he's in the upper room. He's with his 11 now disciples who are still with him. He's washed their feet. He's talked to them about the kingdom. And now one of the last things he does with them before he's drug off to a mock trial and a bloody crucifixion is to pray for them. And that's what we're going to read from John 17. Beginning in verse 1, hear now God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to see your glory. We want to see it tonight. We want to see it in the cross. We want to see it. We want it to capture our imagination. We want this very glory to change us. Will you do that? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you hear this passage, the word glory, it comes up a number of times. So I think it's worth asking the question, what is it? What exactly is glory? What are we talking about when we say that word, when we use that word in this passage and with each other? One pastor said that defining glory, talking about glory, is more like defining beauty than it is a basketball. Now, that might be an obvious point, but a basketball is easy to define, right? We're coming out of March Madness. We can describe a basketball to somebody. It's a round rubber object, about yay big. It bounces on the floor. That's a basketball. That's easy to explain to somebody. But beauty is a lot more difficult, right? I think most of us would have trouble on the spot coming up with a great definition for beauty. And instead, we would say, I can't explain it to you, but I can show it to you, right? This is beautiful, and that's beautiful. If you want to understand beauty, look at these things, and you'll know something about beauty. Glory can be like that. Glory can be very difficult to define. I'm going to give us a working definition for glory. Some of us are going to write it down, and we're going to find that helpful for us. But a lot of us, we're going to have to wait a few minutes to see glory displayed before we can really put a finger on what it is. Here's a working definition for glory. I'm going to give this to us. Glory is the awesome, intrinsic worth of God. Glory is the awesome, intrinsic worth of God. Glory is like matter. Glory cannot be created. It can't be destroyed. We can give glory to God. We can glorify God, but we cannot grow God's glory, right? It's not like the Dow Jones Industrial Average. You don't wake up 
one morning and find out there's been a Wiccan seance the night before and the glory of God has slipped a few points. That's not how it works. It's not dependent on those things. It can't be created or destroyed. We read in the Bible that the heavens, they declare the glory of God. That mouths, they can speak the glory of God. That people fall over backward in the Bible when they're exposed to the glory of God. That the glory of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And yet, Jesus says here, it existed before heavens and before mouths and before seas. Glory is the eternal greatness of God that existed in himself before this world began and long after this world is gone. That's deep stuff, right? That's a deep uh, idea to try to get access to. That's one of the reasons that you and I are human beings and not divine beings because even talking about glory simply blows our minds. But it's about to get even deeper because the son prays to the father in verse 1, let's glorify each other. Let's take this thing glory that can't grow, it can't be diminished, and let's manifest it in each other. And by each other, he means within the Trinity, God in three persons, one God in three persons. I want to take this glory, Jesus says, and I want to see it manifested within ourself as we declare it and display it before the world. That's Jesus's opening line in his prayer. That's the very first thing that rolls off Jesus's tongue. Now, you know those people in prayer that kind of have to warm up to their prayer. You've been in a prayer meeting with them. You've asked somebody to pray. And it's like the first couple of things that they say are just like throwaway fluff, right? They're kind of getting warmed up to their prayer. Dear God, what great weather we're having today. Dear God, it's me. It's been a while. We haven't talked uh, much. That's kind of throwaway fluff. That's chaff that's getting warmed up to prayer. Jesus's opening line in prayer is to peel back the curtain of inter-Trinitarian, pre-existent, intrinsic worth. I can hardly say that, much less pray that. And this is what Jesus prays, that God's glory would echo from Father to Son, from Son to Father forever and ever and ever. That's where Jesus starts with his prayer. How does that happen? How does one go about manifesting glory? In other words, How does God plan to make his worthiness plain for everybody to see? Well, in the passage we just read, there are two ways that God is going to do this. He's going to do it in what Jesus has done over the last three years, and he's going to do it in what Jesus will do in the next three days. What he's already done in the last three years, what he's going to do in the next three days. Let's look at the first one first. What Jesus has done in the last three years. God is glorified 
in the life of Jesus. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, this is what Jesus is praying to the Father. I've already done this. I've completed this part of the mission. I've glorified you in everything that I've done. Before Jesus prays this, earlier in the evening, the disciple Philip has this great line in which he totally sticks his foot in his mouth. And he says, Jesus, I love what you're doing and what you've done. I love everything that you've displayed to us and I appreciate it. But is there any way we could like get around you and to the father, right? I mean, I've seen what you're doing, but I would love to see the father is, I mean, could you arrange that for us to get around you and to the father? And if we see the father and we see the father's glory, that's going to be enough for us. That's all that I could think that we as the disciples would want to ask. Jesus responds, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me? I am in the Father. The Father is in me. When you hear me, you hear the Father. When you see me, you see the Father. You see me exercise demons. You see me sit down to eat with tax collectors and sinners. You hear me proclaim forgiveness of sins. You attended a funeral in which a dead widow's son sat up and spoke to us. And you realize in those moments that sin and death and the devil, they are not the final word because the word has been made flesh and the glory of the Father has been manifest to you. Philip, you wouldn't know glory if it wrapped a towel around itself and washed your feet. Because it did, and you couldn't see it for what it was. That's the first way that God displays his glory. In what Jesus has done over the past three years. But... There's a second way that Jesus prays that God's going to display his glory and it's going to be done over the next three days. It's not just in the life of Jesus, but now it's going to be in the death of Jesus. Look at verse one. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, the word hour there is a bit euphemistic. We might have missed that, except we remember back in John 13, when we hear what the hour is, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart after the world. So Jesus is praying in verse 1, Father, I'm about to die. Would you make my death show, display, Make great your glory. I want to linger here in this closing moment together. This is how God has chosen to bring reciprocal glory within himself. And I want to see just how it is that God plans to do that. When God asks, what makes me pleased? What is going to prove me holy and good and true? 
What is light? What is life? What is beautiful? What will turn humanity back in awe of me? What can I, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be happy and proud of? This is God's answer. To hand his Son over to death to bring a people back to life. This hour... This act, this agony, for God to bear the penalty of sin on a cross to forgive a people forever, it is going to send shockwaves of glory reverberating throughout human history. It's going to become this irresistible pull to those whom the Father has given the Son so that you and I will be utterly dumbfounded by the worth and the glory of God. It's like trying to define beauty. I I don't have words for it, but I can show it to you. You want to know what glory is? You want to begin to get your mind and heart around glory? This is glory. It's the cross. I've seen it. I felt it, I hardly understand it myself, but I've been changed by it and I throw myself at the feet of the one who hangs on it and from father to son, son to father, the glory of the cross is going to echo forever and ever and ever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, capture our imaginations again with the glory of the cross. If we tire of the message, that has more to say about us than it does the supreme glory that you hold within yourself and that you have displayed to the world. I pray tonight when we think of the cross, we think of the very utter glory and worth of God. Do that in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.